1: Ruler Live is coming, only a couple of weeks now until the world's greatest cycling show hits London. On this edition, we have two guests who you'll be seeing at the show. Retired, but rarely retiring, Adam Blythe on his transition from the peloton to the pundit's sofa. And newly crowned Irish champion Imogen Cotter on Zwift Racing and the battle for equality for women riders. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, Bicycle Insurance powered by the community. The last time Adam Blythe appeared on this podcast, he just announced his retirement after a nine-year professional career on road and track. One of the highlights was winning the British National Road title in 2016 and it was a pleasure to hear him and previous winner Matt Stevens commentating on this year's race. Overall, retirement seems to be suiting him well.
2: It's gone all right, actually, I think. I don't think it's gone too badly. Um, I obviously planned what I was going to do before i announced i was going to retire and it's going quite well i'm enjoying the other side let's say the other side of bike riding which is generally just normal life but no it's um i'm enjoying it it's good and
1: you said that you'd actually been out on your bike already uh today so you're still riding you haven't given up or anything
2: no i like going out on my bike still it, it's it's something i think that all bike riders when they stop you know they they might stop for a long period of time but eventually they'll get back on the bikes and I do like going out on my bike. It's it's good fun. It's just finding the time to do so, which is fine because if, if I haven't got time, I'm not stressed about doing it. So yeah, but I do love riding my bike still. Although this morning I got absolutely soaked for a good half an hour in that 30 minutes. I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> but no, it was good.
1: That is the big difference, isn't it? That there isn't any pressure for you to do a certain amount of miles or a certain amount of hours.
2: No, of course there's not. It's just... It's very just do it when you want to do it. And if you don't do it, there's literally not a problem at all with not doing it. So, yeah, for me, it's the enjoyment of riding my bike is still there massively. I just get to dictate when I can do it rather than someone else dictate that for me. I say that like they dictated it in the past they never did it was always up to me
1: <laughs> um, we've been enjoying your sort of commentary and punditry on uh, the various races over the past uh, year or so have you been enjoying that is that something that you've uh, kind of really taken to
2: I do enjoy enjoy doing it yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of fun for me I I enjoy getting stuck into it and trying to analyze it and look try and predict the outcome almost Um, and the tactics of each team and really look into each situation and how that could change the dynamic of the race, the dynamic of a certain rider, and just try and talk about that and educate people really on the situation that's happening in a bike race. I think there's a lot of people that know about bike riding and I think there's still, even up to the highest level, is sort of an education maybe in which to learn things, not to learn things, and yeah, just just talking about it. I absolutely love talking about it. And I think me as a bike rider, when I was racing, I was never the biggest engine by far, uh, but I was efficient. And being efficient made me efficient at commentary, I guess, in being able to learn lots, look at the body language, look at the way things are shaping up in the race. And that's definitely helped me now when I do commentary, for sure.
1: And the one thing people will probably have seen recently is you on the back of a motorbike um, throughout a very wet Paris-Roubaix. Um, it was it was fun to watch. What was it like actually on the bike?
2: I was pretty gutted, actually. So I've done the motorbike before. So I've done it for two years now with the Americans, NBC, at the Tour de France. So I do the whole tour for them, similar to what Brad does, but just for NBC, basically. So it was my sort of first time for Eurosport to be able to do show what I do on the motorbike for the British public or the viewers that watch it because ultimately they never see it because it's on American telly. So I was excited to do it. The race started and it was going well. It was brilliant. Um, And then we had the call from the director of the race that we have to go in front of the race because we can't allow the motorbikes, not too many motorbikes on the cobbles with the riders, which is completely understandable, but... I think we had to go like 20 minutes ahead. And by the time I got to follow some riders from when the first cobble section started, it was the second to last section. So that's when eventually I got behind riders on cobbles. So it was just, it was exciting, it was scary. And we all I think everyone saw that how dangerous it was and how scared I was. It wasn't fun. But I was generally quite annoyed that I couldn't do more. So it's so much happening, so much you could talk about and analyse and just the dangers of it all but I couldn't do that because I wasn't in the race and I could only tell the viewers at home that it's really slippy, it's scary, which it was, but I didn't see any racing to talk about, which frustrated me because I love that part about it and I didn't even see any of the bike race one of the, the races that will forever go down in history I didn't even get to bloody watch it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was good
1: Presumably you also get a different perspective on racing especially in some of the big uh, the grand tours yeah. um, from the back of a motorbike you see things that maybe weren't evident when you were in the pack or whatever
2: When you're riding you generally see quite a lot I mean if you're off the front off the back you generally know what's happening you get a feel for all of that stuff and you can on the big mountain days where people are getting dropped you almost every day you sort of end up with the same people so you almost know that there's going to be a group behind you with so and so in and you just get used to it whereas when you're on the motorbike you generally as a viewer on telly you don't you don't necessarily see all the chaos behind and that's what i like about doing the motorbike at the tour is that you know you might see say for example matthew van stop for a wee and the camera motorbikes haven't picked it up but i'm there so I can then stop at the side of the road near him and just say, look, I've got behind me van der Bole. He's stopped for a wee. And, and you can talk about he's not got any teammates around him. Why is he not like teammates bringing him back up to the bunch? And just looking at all that kind of stuff and just showing the, the bike race that we don't see necessarily. And I think that's, you know, I think with everything in life, we always want to know what goes on behind closed doors. We always want to know why something's happened. And it's kind of like a little bit of a, a gateway that I'm able to open up and show people almost it's good, terrifying, but good
1: now <laughs> uh, coming up very soon is Ruler Live in London, and the last time we were able to have one, I think you were on stage as a guest, but this time um, you're actually asking the questions of um, a range of people, yeah um, possibly including Marcel Kittle Andrea. Taffy, uh, Fabian Cancellara, Geraint Thomas, Steve Cummings, Ian Boswell. It's going to be interesting, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I did it. The last classic that we did, I did, I interviewed Mark, actually, Mark Cavendish on stage alongside Matt Stevens, and I got to pick out my favourite wins uh, of Cavendish's, not the most historical ones not the ones that he's famous for but the ones that I thought were brilliant so we yeah we were able to get those up on screen so everyone could see them then we got to talk to Mark about them each and individually and I think it was it was really nice to get some backstory about what's happening alongside each win and it's not necessarily just it is just the win we see and it's kind of like what I said about the motorbike with everything there's always a story an individual story and when I chatted to Mark about these wins that he had we got so much out of it that we were just unaware of what was happening and all that kind of stuff so it was brilliant but yeah I um Ian only told me the other day that I was doing all these interviews and I was like oh <laughs> right okay <laughs> so yeah it will be good fun but it's just um luckily I got to ride with most of these guys some are a good friend still so it will be good fun taffy i'm a bit afraid of but yeah be interesting to interview him
1: i mean they've all got amazing stories as you said but i mean garrett thomas and ian boswell in particular have had some you know uh, some interest uh interesting uh recent times haven't
2: they yeah massively i think it's i think there's a lot of things with those guys boswell retiring going to race on gravel and just enjoying life i think it'd be interesting to see his perspective on bike racing looking back at his career um and asking just the questions that we all want to know and then finding finding out the little nuggets that we don't necessarily know and it's the same with geraint in a way that he's won the tour de france he's been olympic champion he used to do the classics he switched to the grand tours and you know there's so much to ask him about in the the politics within the team, the, the team in the off, which is now becoming more of a Colombian team. <laughs> so yeah, there's so much to ask them and it will be interesting to, to get to speak to them and not, not pick their brain so much, but just find out things that not necessarily we might even be have thought of really, but just open our minds up really to what goes on in their life. And I think sometimes the, the struggles i think i've learned from doing commentary is that we we judge everyone very easily we always think you know why he's won the tour de france or he did this why is he not sprinting so well at the minute why is he not climbing as good as he was and i think it's all the backstory to all that and the the juggle with normal life and bike riding life and how that can affect it and the implications it has and all that kind of jazz so I'm really I'm really looking forward to it and I think hopefully for those guys having me on stage will I'll get a little bit more out of them hopefully that's going to come on in a bore right outfit or something but as I said nervous about Taffy because he was before my generation so it will be um It'd be a good
1: chat with him. Looking forward to it. And what can we expect uh, in the way of shirts and general clothing action on stage? Got, got anything particular planned? <laughs>
2: I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure at the minute. Now, yeah, I've, I've not planned that far ahead yet. I'll just dig in my wardrobe before I come down and pick something out. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I'll see what I've got. See what I've got. Look in the shirt closet.
1: Well, some of your shirts are worth the admission price alone, I would say. Um, <laughs> Adam, thanks for uh, joining us on uh, the Ruler Podcast, on Ruler Conversations, and um, and we'll see you at Ruler Live in uh, in a, only a couple of weeks now.
2: I look forward to it. Thank you very much.
1: And it's worth a reminder that Ruler subscribers get 10% off tickets to Ruler Live. Uh, you can see Adam there and guests including Anna van der Breggen, Geraint Thomas, Romain Bardet, Marcel Kittel, Jonas Fingergard, Fabian Cancellara, Imogen Cotter, Steve Cummings, Ned Bolting, Ian Boswell and many, many more. Search Ruler Live online for tickets. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at Riller.cc for as little as six pounds per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, or Shino, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc.
0: I'll leave you to it.
1: So my name is Oren Peleg and I'm an investor in Lekker Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people on two wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis and I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have and I think LACA's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment. Also at Ruler Live this year will be the newly crowned Irish road champion Imogen Cotter. Imogen first came to many people's attention through the Zwift Academy. She rides in online races for Movistar and has just returned to Ireland from Belgium, where she was racing with the Coikens Red Ant team. Her ecstatic, emotional interview after winning the title showed quite how important the race was to her. For days afterwards, she said she was on cloud nine. So when I caught up with her, I asked her if she'd come down yet.
0: No, (laughs) no, I don't think I will for a while. Actually, I'm enjoying so much, like watching over the videos and stuff like that. It's um, it's such a nice feeling. I think I didn't realize until I crossed the line and I had won how important it was for me to win and how awful it would have been if I hadn't won. Because I had really come into this with like optimal mindset of, yeah, I'm going to win it um so yeah I'm just really like relieved and enjoying like ending my season on a high as well because that was my last race so now I kind of have the opportunity to yeah let it sink in because usually I'll be like okay on to the next thing now I can enjoy it you know can you
1: can you say why was it so important because it was so obvious from the interview that you did after the race uh, and you just kept on saying that was so important to it's so important to me and obviously it's your national championships but why
0: um I think for me uh, so it's always been like a really big honor for me to wear the, the national jersey even if it's to you know not the national champ jersey but just to represent Ireland is always as soon as I got into sport that was my aim like I did running and I did triathlon and I always wanted to represent Ireland and On both occasions in both of those sports, um, I had come really close and it had always kind of been snatched away by like an injury last minute or something would just happen that I wouldn't get to do it. And I dealt with that disappointment so much. And, you know, then when I started cycling, I was like, okay, now in cycling, I definitely, you know, I had just dogged determination to wear the national jersey. So. This is kind of like another level of honour. Like you get to wear the national jersey when you represent Ireland, but I get to represent Ireland basically all the time now because I will have my national colours on. It's just such a... Oh lovely feeling
1: well let's talk about your sort of route um to today because as you said you started off um uh, as a runner um and then into triathlon so but you haven't been cycling that long have you
0: yeah no i came into it quite late because throughout my teens i was a runner so from the age of like I was always quite sporty, but it was from the age of about 16 onwards that I started to take it seriously. Um, So 16 up until 23, I was running and at a good level, but constantly getting injured, you know, it would just be, because it's such a high impact sport, I'd be getting good and then I'd have to take a step back. And yeah, so I kind of, not that I was falling out of love with running, but I just always knew that I wasn't reaching my full potential. So um, in 2017, Cycling Ireland were doing a talent transfer program, and I kind of I was living in London at the time. I didn't really know what I was doing with sport. And my mum was like, "Oh, you should try out, you know, for this Cycling Ireland thing and uh, see how it goes." And I just wanted a weekend at home. Actually, I was thinking, "Okay, great, I'll fly back to Ireland. I'll do the tests, and you know, that will be it." But I kind of just kept getting through to the next round and through to the next round. And that's how I got into cycling, just through that talent transfer program. So I lived out in Mallorca for a year, training full time with the high performance squad um, for the track. And track is so different to road. And the, the feeling for me on track was that it was just a lot of pressure all the time. It was just constantly like looking at milliseconds, looking at, you know, a a millisecond can ruin your day. I think in any sport where a millisecond can ruin your day, there's a lot of pressure attached to it. Yeah, I ended up leaving the track program. And in 2019, I moved to Belgium. So it's only, yeah, two years ago, I suppose, 2019, that I did my first road racing season. So, it, you know, I've been cycling since 2017, but that was all track base and I, I hadn't really done I didn't have any experience when I went to Belgium of road racing. I was just like I think people do it the other way around where they come into the sport and they kind of ease themselves in with like a local race here and then they might go to a regional. I was just like right in there with the pros. <laughs> I don't care. And it was just sink or swim.
1: <laughs> in Belgium particularly that must have been a bit of a shock.
0: Yeah God yeah it was it was just complete madness. I, I look back on it now and I just think I was a bit crazy but I think that also in a lot of situations like that when you're very naive it really helps actually because when you're naive of like the level of the girls you're racing against that you have no idea how good they are it actually helps you to just get stuck in really.
1: And then you got into as well a sort of e racing yeah before covid even actually weren't you into kind of your yeah, online racing and the zwift academy and things like that how how did that come about
0: so yeah that was in 2019 as well at the end of that season i actually crashed and i broke my arm and i was you know a bit depressed i suppose that i couldn't get outdoors and ride and i saw that zwift academy was taking place at the same time and i was actually still able to get onto the turbo I had like an ironing board above my handlebar, so I didn't have to, I could just rest my arm on that instead of holding the bars. And I just did the Zwift Academy to kind of keep me motivated while I was recovering and while my bone was healing. And again, kind of the same thing that happened with the cycling and thing. I just got through to the next round and then I got through to the semifinals, um, which I was very happy with that and very unexpectedly. And then, yeah, I did some... Zwift racing then, obviously 2020 came about then, and, you know, we all know what happened 2020, and I was doing Zwift racing at that stage because I wasn't sure, same as so many cyclists, I wasn't sure when we'd actually get to race outside again, so I thought, okay, I'll have to do some, you know, racing here to just keep me motivated and keep me fit. I liked it, but I, I couldn't really... Get into it uh, that much because I just felt that it was just so impossibly hard. It was very, very difficult. And um, I kind of took a step back from it when we got to go outdoors again. And then in January of this year, I got COVID. And it was then in my comeback from COVID that my coach said to me, Look, to keep you motivated, to give you something to work towards, why don't you try out for the Movistar E team? And that is. Yeah, you know, you know, that's how I got to where I am now.
1: So how does the Movistar e team actually work then?
0: So we are basically members of Movistar, as in we we have the kit um and the bike, but I also have my road team as well that I, I don't ride from Movistar outdoors. On Zwift, at the moment we're primarily racing on Zwift. We haven't used other platforms yet, but on Zwift there's like Premier Racing League, which is every well, it was every Tuesday night. I think it's going to be every Monday night now. And it is just full gas racing against some of the best e-racers in the world. And it is really, really hard, really fun because you you kind of, I suppose when you're suffering in the company of other people, it it makes it less, yeah, painful, I suppose. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we are, it's amazing because Movisar have now set up the first ever world tour esports team. Um, so I guess they're kind of breaking ground in that way. And it's just amazing to actually be in, in contact and to know that you're in like the same team as as these people who you've looked up to for years. Like, you know, you've got Valverde and Amique, all these people, Alarud, like there's just amazing riders riding for them and... Whenever I get to you know I got to wear their kit outdoors recently I got to represent them in a gravel race and again that's like a real pinch me moment you're like what (laughs) that you're actually allowed to wear it and that you are you've earned the right to wear it is is like a crazy feeling and a lovely feeling too. Yeah.
1: have you found that getting back onto the road um that your e-racing has helped um because a lot of people think that the skills aren't transferable
0: oh i would i would say like you still need to have your road rides in to make sure you still keep on top of the skills but as in power wise it is it helps you so much because whiffed racing is relentless like at least in the road sometimes you might have a downhill where you can ease off or you might like have a corner or you just have periods where you're not pedaling but on Zwift you're constantly pedaling so it's definitely helped me as in helped me to push through that kind of barrier that pain barrier when I'm on the road.
1: You're Irish national champion Um you've got close on uh, 90,000 followers on Instagram Um and yet Up until now, you've been largely self-financing, haven't you? Which you know, in if you were a a male rider, I don't think that would be the case, would it?
0: No. Um, Yeah. No. I'm still very self-funded and very broke. (laughs) Um, I I moved home recently now, um, and I kind of do. I do a bit of coaching work, um, which just you know helps me to just keep my head above water i don't have a load of money i i also have because of my instagram sometimes i might have a month where i get a job you know and that's amazing and it's like oh i've got a bit of breathing space yeah it's a weird one i suppose that there's so many female cyclists i know now um and i know that nobody is doing it for money like at least with a male rider, you might think, OK, you know, they they might be doing it because they have a chance to earn, you know, something like 600 euro a month. And, and you'd be thinking, oh, I would kill to earn 600 euro a month to cycle. All the women I know are doing it because they love it. Like there's nobody doing it because they're like, I'm going to get rich or I'm going to be able to pay my bills. We're all in the same boat the girls I know obviously like obviously on the world tour teams you got people who were earning good money but people who were trying to make it it's it's very very difficult yeah
1: we see sort of signs that it might be changing and obviously the you know recently we also had the you know uh, first women's Paris-Roubaix um, but again the contrast in money and television coverage even for that race was still quite re- marked wasn't
0: it yeah but I think it's becoming more you know topical now people aren't willing to let that stuff slide and i think you see it as well from within the women's peloton you know i don't know whether you saw on twitter but there was a tweet like saying what the men would get versus what the women's winner would get and i saw female cyclists from within the pro peloton sharing that and i think that is what needs to be done i think that the time is coming now that companies races You know, race organisers can't get away with doing that because there is is Twitter, there is Instagram. People aren't happy to let it slide. And I think we saw it as well last, what was it this year, with Strada Bianchi when they crowdfunded to get the prize money for the women. Like that should be shameful for the race organisers. That is embarrassing. (laughs) It's embarrassing. That's all I can say about it. Yeah, it leaves me speechless. It leaves me annoyed. We're putting in the same work as the men, you know, making the same sacrifices as the men, maybe even more because we don't have any money. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I I could get very heated on it. (laughs) But I'm glad it's changing, you know.
1: It does seem to be changing slowly. Um, Have you any idea at this stage what 2022 holds for you? Do you know what you're going to be doing?
0: I really don't. I, I... since I moved home from Belgium that was like a really unexpected move um, I'm really taking things one day at a time I've had teams reach out you know in recent months and also especially since I, I got to jersey which is you know a really nice uh, feeling I'm taking things a day at a time I haven't made any confirmed plans yet I'm hoping to move to Girona some stage this winter to just um, train out there and yeah, taking things one day at a time is, is my motto at the moment.
1: Well, one thing you definitely are doing um, before then is Ruler Live in London, November the 4th to the 6th. Um, do you know what you're going to be doing there?
0: <laughs> no, I'm I, chatting, I suppose, and I suppose I, I would like to share my experience with cycling i think i look at the list and i feel a bit of imposter syndrome probably because you know these riders there are you know there's amazing professional ex-professional riders whatever i i would like to just give a bit of a an insight i suppose from from my level and um I, i'm coming at it from a different angle as well because i've come into it a very different way to a lot of riders and also i've got the e-racing which is a, a unique thing, I suppose, that a lot of people might not, might not speak about or might not do.
1: Oh, you're definitely not an imposter, um, Imogen. Um, look forward to uh, seeing you at Ruler Live and uh, maybe we'll catch up then and you may have some more news.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for having the chat Ian. you. And
1: that's it from this Ruler Conversations. There'll be a Ruler tech podcast here next week. Planning for your next trip?